Hello, folks. Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Jake Guy speaking, and I am blessed today to have Trent Luce calling in. How are we doing today, Trent? Never better. Glad to have, be along with you. Well, you know, really appreciate you stopping by and uh, having a conversation today. You know, one of the issues that you seem to uh, be involved in a lot is bridging the divide between rural America and urban America. And I'd like you to delve into a little bit more of some of the stuff that you've done in that. Um, and then maybe mm-hmm. we can kind of go from there on some of the things that you've seen work well and some of the things you've seen haven't worked so well. Well, I don't know. I, I can tell you a lot of things that haven't worked. And, and the main thing that doesn't work is that we in farm country, we think that people automatically need to know more about where their food comes from, who's involved in producing their food. And I, I liken it to, well, here we are. We, we, we utilize fuel on a daily basis to produce the food. And how many times do we give thought to the men and women working in the oil fields who are mining the oil from the soil and then refining it and making it possible to go into our tanks to do what we do? It's just not human nature. But with the situation that we have that's currently unfolded in, in the world in the past, let's say, six months, I think we've got a very unique opportunity to really talk about what it is that we in rural America do, how we in rural and urban America need to communicate more. Uh, I'm always puzzled each year when I look at the the geographical maps county by county in terms of who voted for a Democrat, who voted for a Republican, particularly in presidential elections. And I think, man, that divide could not be any more starkly contrast than what we see in these presidential elections. And so I've, I've gone out of my way in the past, I'll say, 10 years to try to put myself in a position of um, more of an urban environment. And probably the most recent one, I was in Fairfield, Connecticut, the week before everything went south. It was the first week of March. I was able to participate in a fashion panel discussion and uh, Jake, you have to get ready for this one, but there's some folks in the high fashion world that think maybe it's time to look to natural fibers like wool to be a part of fashion because sheep are important for grazing, sheep are important for planet health, and, well, it's a renewable fiber. And, you know, I tried to make light of that saying, well, yeah, we haven't known that. Well, wait a minute. We have known that for 2,000 years since Jesus walked the planet, <laughs> but I'm glad that we're now discussing that. Mm-hmm. And. And, you know, there's a very interesting discussion and, and people always want to talk about sustainable farming and sustainable food and everything that we've already been doing for 150 years, progressively making progress, progressing through that technological advancement so that we can produce more with less. And we think that the people who eat the food just automatically need to know what we're doing to make it all happen. I think that we need to start asking questions instead of lecturing, so to speak, when we want that communication to be extended. And when we think about connecting rural and urban, we think about maybe Sioux Falls, but probably Minneapolis, Chicago, New York City. But when I speak to an audience, like I've done for Sioux Nation, I will remind people that the absolute best place to start this conversation is at our dinner table. Because we, we, I think we're shocked to find out how many people that are in our own family don't really know what's going on to efficiently convert the natural resources into the essentials of life, food, fiber, pharmaceuticals, and fuel. Mm-hmm. So that's the easiest place to start, and, and I think a place where we can really make progress and begin this discussion. 
No, that's a great point. I I think back to a couple of Christmases ago when my brother-in-law, who you know, you'd think it was something that he would know innately because he grew up on the farm with you know my in-laws, my wife, and whatnot. And he asked, "Well, do you, you guys have to go out there and pull every calf?" Mm-hmm. And it was it was I think a little bit of a jarring experience for me to just to realize somebody that even even grew up in that setting. Um, he he's wonderful fellow. He's uh, serving our country in the Navy and does a great job there. Um, but definitely has left the farm and hasn't really connected back with it since. All right. So, yeah. And that's common. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe, you know, when you talked about uh, asking more questions instead of talking to people, you know, could you delve into that? What, what are the kind of things that you, you ask when you're working with somebody who's not as familiar with agriculture? Well, if you ask the right question, and here's the other part of it. I know that you you understand this better than anybody. You can't. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> yeah. So right now, we uh, that differs from day to day. And right now, anything involving viruses, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we got such a tremendous opportunity because those of us in livestock agriculture, our success or failures are depending on how well we deal with viruses. Mm-hmm. And you tell somebody that in urban America and they're like, oh, my goodness, you mean our animals are sick? Well, did you know that 380 trillion viruses can be found on you or in your body today? Hmm. Now, first of all, I want to know what grad student counted those viruses because I don't have a calculator that goes to 380 trillion, but that's what makes up our human body. And so you start talking about viruses and what we do and, you know, who in urban America heard anybody talking about herd immunity Hmm. before this. Mm -hmm. Now we have a fantastic opportunity to talk about what it is that we do, the biosecurity measures that we put in place to, number one, protect our animals and their biosecure measures against health diseases, and what herd immunity actually means. I was Earlier today, I was on a TV broadcast in New York City, and they were somewhat concerned because nearly 14% of all people tested in New York have some level of antibodies. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I said, well, it's too bad it's not 85%. That completely threw them out of the water because, oh, my goodness, that would be, well, that's the way you develop immunity. That's the way that you are exposed to organisms. That's how a vaccine works. Mm-hmm. Your best vaccine is th- through that natural exposure, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That, that wasn't just some saying somebody came up with. That's a, that's about life right there. And so whatever the issues of the day are, you find a way to ask a question that intrigues people to want to get more information about what you know. And what we know is we know how to take care of the God-given natural resources and convert them into something that people need to live. Yeah, well, I really appreciate your thoughts on how you look at that. And, um, you know, I think uh, for a lot of the listeners out there, one of the things that gets frustrating for us is when we see things that we don't we would like to respond to, uh, but uh, it seems like we're kind of being drowned out. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're spitting on a forest fire when we're trying to respond to all the, the negative feedback we get. What would be some thoughts you would have maybe that would in, be encouraging to people to feel like, you know, we may turn the corner on this, that, you know, this, this may not be the, the end of agriculture as we know it? Live fearlessly. Do not live in fear. How many times do I hear people say, well, uh, I can't do that because I might have some animal rights person come after me. Well, that's a fantastic thing. If you, if they don't come after you, they're not worried about you. And so every day I try to find out how many people I have that are coming after me. 
because they're worried. That, and perfect example, on Friday of this week, Chicago City Council is going to vote on whether to ban carriages in Chicago. They were going to do it Wednesday, but we've been throwing a fit. We're kind of doing it in the 11th hour, which is our biggest problem is we wait until it's too late to really activate. But now at least we got the vote thrown from Wednesday to Friday of this week. And there are animal rights people that are coming out of the woodwork and unglued for because for, they realize that somebody is actually hearing, hearing the truth. And the Illinois State Veterinary Association is speaking up and saying the veterinarians are talking about how this is not a danger to the horses. It's not an accelerated danger to the people who live there. You just have to get louder. And you cannot live in fear and afraid that some animal rights wacko is going to come after you. And what are they going to do? They're going to call you a name like you're on the playground again? Well, is that going to really hurt you? Just stand by the truth and get louder. Sure. Great words to live by. Appreciate that. Well, tell you what, um, before we go, I know that there's a lot of different misconceptions that you've heard from people about animal agriculture. You know, I talked about my brother-in-law and having to pull every calf or uh, once a a lady told me that uh, she doesn't understand why cattle wouldn't have any shade. And I had to explain that there's no trees on the sand hills of Nebraska. So shade's a little bit sparse to come by a lot of places where there's cattle. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that was probably the most unique or out there thing that somebody had as a thought of what happens in animal agriculture that you've run into? Oh, without a doubt, the lady who I sat next to on a plane one day that told me she was a vegetarian and she said, I'm a vegetarian, except I do eat chicken wings. Okay. Well, that hit me really funny that chicken wings would be the exclusion to being a, vet, a vegetarian. And um, I said, well, chicken wings? Why chicken wings? Well, because I know a chicken can grow its wings back. <laughs> and had I not had somebody tell me that directly, I would have said there is nobody that stupid. But... They're there. Just this week, I've had 12 people send me the note from a lady in Louisville, Kentucky, that posted she didn't understand what all the flurry was about coronavirus and farmers because nobody gets their food from a farmer anymore. They just go to Albertsons and Kroger. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> I, by the way, Dick, I invited her to be on the radio with me, and it's been uh, crickets at this point. I've not heard back from her. Huh. Well, I guess learn something new every day, don't we? <laughs> yeah. If you're listening... Oh, I see Governor Cuomo's now talking about 14% of New Yorkers have antibodies. So I think I got ahead of that curve. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you, you can learn something every day if you're a good listener. That's for sure. Well, Trent, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk with us here for a little bit. That's the best excuse I can get out of helping my wife do the work around the ranch. Just tell her I got to do radio with you. So thank you very much. <laughs> Well, thank you. And for all the folks out there that are listening, you have a great day and take care now.